My message this morning is feeding on Jesus, the bread of life. And you know that as we are building up to Christmas, you will get a lot of messages. And um, what, I, what I want is that every time you come to worship God, whether it's a regular Sunday or it's some of the special events that are happening, that God will draw you closer to Jesus. Christmas, as you know, in many ways is a, well, you know, he wasn't born on the 25th. Somebody said to me, oh, you, how can you say Jesus? Christianity don't believe in it. Jesus wasn't born on the 25th. Duh, we know that. Hello? It's just a time that was historically chosen for various reasons. Some good reasons, some bad reasons, if you want to know. But I don't care to have one day when we say this is when we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And around that comes a whole lot of stuff, which some of it's fun, and some of it's not, as you know, but some of it's great fun. But in the middle of it all, it really is about Him. And I, I want us to have a respond to the Holy Spirit who is calling us constantly closer to Jesus. And I'm going to show you how you can feed on Jesus as the Word of God. That's my message today. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel and the first chapter. Read the story from verse 26 onwards of the Annunciation. That's the announcement made by the angel Gabriel to Mary, a young virgin girl who was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, the Jewish betrothal was when the vows were made so they were married, they were committed, but there was a period of time which is called the betrothal period before which they actually came together as husband and wife. So as the Bible teaches, there were no sexual relations before the marriage, not even in the betrothal period. So she was a virgin, and this is what happened. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greetings was this. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, 
For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here we have um, from the reading from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they, they kind of tell the story of the birth of Jesus from a human perspective. And uh, when you read all these accounts, and don't worry, they'll be read over and over again between now and Christmas Day. But we, we kind of get the human interaction. Here is Mary trying to come to terms with an astonishing announcement that she was the one who was going to be the bearer of the Christ into this world. And she's puzzled about this. How is this going to be? What's going to happen? She's not exactly sure of all the ramifications and the the miraculous nature of this. And And the angel very carefully and courteously explains a little bit of detail of how it's going to happen. It's going to be supernatural. There's going to be a life created in her womb supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. But in in an amazing way, this life was not going to be an ordinary life. This was going to be God manifested in the flesh. And then we have all the story of how Joseph struggled with this. Because as far as he was concerned, when his uh, betrothed, I wouldn't say fiancé, it's stronger than a fiancé, but his betrothed wife says, I'm pregnant. And uh, he knows that it was nothing to do with him. And so big questions are in his mind. And God has to speak to him and say, Joseph, this is God, what is happening. What she's telling is the truth. So we have all this kind of human interaction. And actually, uh, when we read it and allow our imagination to, to go with it, we discover that every legitimate human emotion is expressed throughout all of this. But when we come to the fourth gospel, John's gospel, he doesn't bother with any of that. He says, I want to tell you the same story from God's perspective. And this is it. John's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, John is saying, this is the eternal word that was with God, and that was God who has become flesh. In other words, God has become human, man. And therefore, the word of God dwelt amongst us. And so, we have... Jesus as the eternal word, the personal word of God. And in Christ, we see him as the living, breathing, visible, human, perfect expression of that word. But we also have another word. That's the written word of God. The Bible. And I want to show you how we can take the Bible, the written word of God, and by reading it with the right attitude, with the right dependence on God, we can feed on Christ, the living word, the bread of life. 
and that's very important. And um, we take this for granted, so maybe at least just for one Sunday, we can think about it, actually what this means, and check out to see if this is what we're actually doing. Because when we come to the Bible and read the Bible, we come to the Bible for many, many reasons. Some people come to the Bible for a word of encouragement. Some people come to the Bible just to be lifted up uh, in some kind of a way. Why do you come to the Bible? I'm, I'm presuming you do every day come to the Bible. I'm assuming uh-huh, that you have a daily Bible reading program. And if you don't, you can get one very easily. Everybody hold up your Bible. Would you hold up your Bible right now? Hold up your Bible. I'm holding up 28 versions, one and 27 here. How, let, let's see it again. I want to check you out. Hold, hold up your Bible. Okay, ah, mobile phone, yes. Yes, iPad, yes. All right, okay. So through electronic versions of the Bible now, we have the Bible at our fingertips, and most programs, uh, electronic programs, will give you a daily Bible reading program, and some of them even send you an email when you missed it out. Say, ah, ha, ha, you didn't read yesterday. Come on, get back to it. And uh, it's your very own cell leader (laughs) checking up on you. But whether you use a paper version or an electronic version, there are Bible reading programs that will take you through systematic reading of Scripture. And that's very, very good, and I'll come back to it, but that's not what my emphasis is today. How do you read the Word of God? Why do you read the Word of God? Now, one of the, the, the technical answers, the Bible student answer is, I read the Bible because it is God's manual for life and living. Is that right? Yes, it is. It is God's manual for life and living. In other words, you read the Bible for guidance, for direction. It's the maker's manual. This is how life should be. Amen? And a scripture for that is Psalm 119, verse 105, where it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And it's a good thing to do, to come to the Bible, to say, God, guide me, lead me, show me how you want me to live. Give me direction. Give me instruction. Give me correction. Train me in righteousness. And we need to get back to the Bible for that purpose. In our opening prayer, we are praying very strongly that God would reestablish in our society the Christian understanding of marriage. Why is it that we believe in marriage between one man and one woman living faithfully together? Why is it? For two reasons. Number one, God has shown us that's his manual for living and for marriage. Amen and amen. amen. Second reason is, it is the best way. As all the surveys tell us, as all the information tells us, it's the best way. And so when we study the Bible as a manual for living, not only are we being told what to do and what not to do, God is revealing to us the best, the most fruitful, the most enjoyable, the most fulfilling way of living life on this planet. Can I have an amen? Amen. Now, if you don't give me lots of amens, I'm going to do my Swahili, all right? (laughs) Katika jina la Yesu, because in Kenya they give me good amens. Katika jina la Yesu, in the name of Jesus. Oh, we're getting there. Hallelujah. I can even do it in French. We'll have an amen here from the people as well. But that's not the only reason we read the Bible. We also read the Bible to feed our souls. 
You all know that. You, you enjoy that, reading the Bible to nourish your soul. When Jesus was confronted by the enemy, Satan, the adversary, who was tempting him, the first temptation after a 40-day fast, he was hungry. And that's an understatement. Some of you are hungry after a 40-minute fast. <laughs> Jesus was hungry. And the enemy said, make these stones bread and satisfy your hunger. Now, Jesus was going to break his fast, but he was going to break his fast when the Father told him, not when the devil told him. And this is how Jesus responded. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, a now very famous verse. He said, Matthew 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word of God is bread, sustenance to your, for your soul. And just as if you were on a poor diet, a diet that was not nutritionally balanced, you would suffer in your body, you would suffer in your health. So if you do not have a good spiritual balanced diet in the Word, then you will suffer spiritually. And that's why we do need a systematic Bible reading program. You don't just read your favorite verses or just a future Psalm 23, uh, and a few other things as well, you actually chew on Leviticus, even if it's in small chunks. Uh, and you, you go and have a look at some of the stuff, which is, which is the foundation and the bedrock of, of our New Testament faith. The Old Testament, which is so much longer than the New Testament, is rich, and sometimes you have to dig deep, and you have to go digging and mine the gems that are there, but the gems are there. But we read the Bible not just for guidance and direction for life. We read the Bible to feed and nourish our souls. But there is another reason. And I think this reason is the most profound of all and therefore the most important of all. We read the Bible that the Holy Spirit can minister life to our spirit. In John chapter 6, Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. And this teaching of Jesus follows just after he had fed the 5,000 and the loaves and the fishes, you know, the miracle. And they followed him because they saw this miracle and they said, we're going to make him king. To put, it, <laughs> to put it in modern terms, goodbye, David Cameron. We want a new prime minister who can really fix our economy. And if this guy can multiply loaves and fishes, perhaps he can do miracles with our economic situation. There'll be no double-dip recession with Jesus as prime minister. And Jesus, that's nothing about Cameron. I'm just bringing this up to date so you see. Now, the point is this. Jesus said, actually, you didn't follow me for any other reason other than the fact that you ate these loaves and you were filled. In other words, he was saying, I haven't come just that you might have physical provision, but that miracle is a demonstration of a greater and even more important reality, and that is I am the bread of life, and if you feed on me, you're going to live forever. Amen. So literally he says... In John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about feeding on him spiritually because the deepest hunger and the most significant hunger of all is a spiritual hunger. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we feed on Christ because he is the bread of life and he alone can deeply satisfy. It's not just the physical needs. He satisfies the deepest longings of our spirit. He satisfies the longings of the human spirit that nothing else can fill. There is no bread, not even wonder loaf descending from a parachute in hev- from heaven can feed you like Jesus can feed you. And of course, he wanted them to understand. He wanted them to move from the physical thing of the miracle of multiplying bread to the spiritual truth of feeding on him. And so he took it further in a way that I think is, was the most provocative, the most polemic form of words he could ever use. Is that I tell you what it is. Here it is. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were offended. Well, wouldn't you be offended? Now think of this, a Jewish audience. I mean, they weren't even allowed to eat meat with blood in it. And they certainly weren't cannibals. And they were offended. And they, and they just said, we, we're leaving here. We're going to find another church. We don't like this. It was all very well when he was doing magic tricks with food. But now he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's disgusting. And they left him. And Jesus was deliberately giving them something that was difficult to understand with the natural mind, he was deliberately offending their minds to reveal their hearts. And then I don't know exactly how it worked out, the text gives us some idea, but it seems to me that a whole lot of people left and Jesus turned to his disciples and he says, you wanna go as well, there's the door. You wanna go? And Simon Peter saved the day. Where would we go? Don't be so ridiculous. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't understand a thing you're talking about, Jesus, but I do know this. Whatever it is that you've got, we need. That's what he said. And then Jesus, I'm sure smiling, because Peter didn't always get it right, as you know. But in John 6, verse 33... 63, rather. Jesus says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. (laughs) And so when we come to the written word of God, there is a connection here a a divine, supernatural connection between Jesus, the eternal personal word, and the revelation of him in the scriptures, God's written word. And he says the connection is this. My words are spirit and life. So we read the Bible to feed on Christ by the Holy Spirit. And you need to understand that Christ is in all the scriptures, all the scriptures. Do you remember after the crucifixion, before the disciples understood 
that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They thought it was game over. We hoped that he would do it. We hoped that this would be the one who would rescue us and redeem us and save us. But now it's over. He's gone. He's crucified and buried, finished. And two disciples in particular had left Jerusalem and they were going home. They were so disappointed. They thought everything that they had been dreaming about and even Jesus' promises had proved to be false and empty because where is he now? They completely, were completely thrown by this. And Jesus, of course, they don't know, is raised from the dead. And he subtly and discreetly draws alongside them as they're making their way in that two-mile journey dispirited, discouraged, moaning and groaning and complaining about all of this. And Jesus said, what were you talking about? They said, well, you know, it's happened. And he said, what happened? Don't you know what happened? The one who we'd hoped would save us is dead and gone. And then this is what happens. Jesus gives them a Bible study. I mean, you know, he is the great master. He's the great teacher. I would have loved to have heard that Bible study. Wouldn't you? Well, we can. Because the same Holy Spirit that opened their eyes to Christ in all the Scriptures is with us every single time we open the Word of God. He is the teacher leading and guiding us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit has a spiritual stabilo boss highlighter pen. And when you read it, he highlights stuff and reveals stuff to you. So we have exactly what they had. But anyway, back in that day, it says, Luke 24, 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This was an entire Old Testament study because Moses speaks of the books of the law and the prophets speak of how the Jews describe the rest. So the law and the prophets is the entire Old Testament. And so Jesus speaks to them from the Old Testament and showing them how in every part of Scripture it is all about Jesus. From the very beginning, in our Bible, Genesis 3.15, when the Bible speaks about the promise of the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, who does that describe? It's Christ. Amen? The seed of Abraham, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That is a prophecy concerning Christ, Moses. There is a prophet who is going to come, and you must listen to him. Jesus is that prophet. And right the way through, all of the Old Testament, the predictions and the prophecies, many of them concerning the coming of Christ at Christmas, are found in Matthew's gospel repeatedly. This 
happened in order that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Christ is in all the Scriptures. And so when you come, it might be the book of Leviticus, or as I thought it was when I read it as a new believer, Leviticus, whatever book it was. Do you remember the time when you thought the book of Job was the book of Job? Remember that? That was when we were blissfully, you know, uninitiated. Now we learn to say Job. And somebody says, I just read the book of Job. What's the book of Job all about? Actually, it's Job. And if somebody says, well, it's Deuteronomy. No, it's Deuteronomy. You're able to, able to sound as if you know a whole lot more than you know just by pronouncing the names of the Bible correctly. But as we turn to the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy or the book of Job, we find Christ in all the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. So we open the Bible to find out more about Jesus and not just to find out about him, but to meet him and to encounter him and to feed on him in our spirits, the one who is the bread of life. Amen and amen. Now, this is something we need to learn we need to learn. And there is a discipline to this, as in everything is the discipline to this. But we need to make sure that the attitude is right and our understanding is right. So if we come to the Word of God with a bad attitude or a wrong attitude, actually, we really can't expect to receive very much. Amen? I mean, God is sovereign. Sometimes people, I hate God, I hate God, atheists, and they find something, oh, I love God, I love God. What happened between love and hate? The Holy Spirit showed up and said, shook us rigid and said, this is real. I remember a man, I heard his testimony from my own mouth, from his own, from his own mouth, <laughs> face to face. And we were in northern Iraq, and it was in a tricky place, and, and there was no electricity, and we were illuminating the room with our mobile phones. And, and he told the story of how not only was he a terrorist, an Islamist terrorist, he was a trainer of terrorists. And as part of his discipline, he was told to read the Bible so that when we come and take over Britain, we will be able to, to, to confound those stupid Christians who think that Jesus is the Son of God. That was exactly what he said. And he opened the Bible and he said, what, what is this? There was something here. He read it and he said, wow, there's something about this book. There is power in this book. What is it? What is it? And the Holy Spirit began to work. And so he rejected his erroneous beliefs and received Christ as his personal savior. Amen. Why? Why, why, why? Because this is no ordinary book. Open this book and Christ will leap out. The Lion of Judah will roar. Amen. Wow. That's what it should be like. Amen. This is a living book. It's alive. But you have to come in the right attitude. Now, God can overrule bad attitudes. But when we are as believers, we want to come hungry. We don't want to come with a bad attitude. We want to come with the right attitude. And, and if you don't have a right attitude, you're going to miss him, just as the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed him. And Jesus addresses the former, the Pharisees, because they had the idea, one of their sayings was, more Torah, more life. And, and Jesus said, you know, when you come to the Scriptures, you think that just because you have the Scriptures, that you have life. And the Scriptures 
the Old Testament scriptures were given to the Jews, and therefore they were more enlightened than the surrounding nations. But a kind of pride and arrogance can develop when you think that you as a believer, well, I am a Bible person. Well, why do you say that? I have one Bible version in my hand, and I have 27 others uh, <laughs> electronically. So, there. And what do you have in your hand? The Sun newspaper. <laughs> A pride can enter in. And Jesus had to address this. They were rejecting Messiah because their minds were blocked by a wrong approach to the Word of God. John 5, 39. He says, I'll tell you what you are like. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Like in them, in possessing them, in having your Bible, and having it in front of you, say, this is my Bible, therefore I'm a believer. Therefore I have God. You can have 10 Bibles in your library and still God be absent from your life. If every person in Britain who had a Bible and they're everywhere. W.H. Smith's, online, anywhere you care to look, even in the two-star bed and breakfast in the drawer, there's a Gideon's Bible leaps out at you. If every person in Britain who was within hand's reach of a Bible actually believed that Bible, Britain now already would be saved. So there's a whole lot more than having a Bible. It's what you do with it. It's how you read it. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think that just by having them, you have life. No. He said, these are those that which testify of me. So he said, you're looking in the right place, but you've got to open your eyes to what you're really searching for. In other words, he said, if you really had searched the scriptures open to the coming of Messiah, you would have recognized that this is the day of your visitation. And then to the Sadducees, they were slightly different. The Sadducees were the innovators. I mean, what, look, I'll tell you what they didn't believe. They didn't believe in the physical resurrection of the body. It's a Jewish doctrine, well-attested, historic understanding that the day would come when God would raise from the dead everybody that ever lived. And the good people will go to heaven and the bad people would not. So you've got to try to be good. Now that's not the gospel. That's legalism. Because we don't get to heaven by being good. If there's one thing I would like anybody that is announcing the news to say, this is the news, Kensington Temple on the authority of God's word declares to you that good people don't go to heaven. The nation would be shocked, just like some of you. Do you get to heaven by being good? Of course not. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. They're beyond hope. But he comes to call sinners to repentance. The gospel reaches me where I am. And there is none righteous, no, not one. Even the most morally pure person on this planet is an offense to God because his heart or her heart are hard to God and thinking that it's by their good works you can enter heaven. There's enough tea in all of China to get you to heaven. 
There's not enough good works in the whole of the world to get one person into heaven. Why is that? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And that an impure heart cannot produce pure acts of loving service to God but only a heart that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You need God to open your heart to see who Jesus is. And when Christ is in your life, you begin to feed on him by his word, and a change happens. Something takes place on the inside of you, and your heart becomes pleasing to God because he gives you a new heart and a new spirit. And by the way, this new spirit has an appetite. Have you ever seen new Christians and they read the Bible and they don't know that they're reading the Bible too much? And you say, well, you're reading your Bible. Yes, yes, I've read the whole New Testament. When? Since last Saturday. What? You've read the whole New Testament since last Saturday. And you look at your Bible reading program. Monday, missed. Tuesday, missed out. Wednesday, tried to catch up. Thursday, lost hope. Friday, tried again. (laughs) Why? Because a a baby has, has an appetite. That's why... Esteban was not standing right next to this platform when I called him because he's upstairs thinking, oh, Father, oh, Father, just for one good night's sleep. <laughs> that baby is 24, needs food 24 hours a day. Amen. Ladies, you got, have you got a baby in the house like that with that kind of appetite? No, not your husband. That's another, that's a, that's a, that's another thing. Some, some babies don't grow out of it. But this is an appetite. The new appetite we have, the desire for the Word of God, is a miracle of God's grace in our lives. And we actually want to know about Leviticus. When the priest has bells, and, and you think to yourself, what are these bells and pomegranates? And, and you've got to go look up in a dictionary to find out what a pomegranate is, and quails, and all that kind of stuff. But because you, are, you have an appetite, because you're hungry, you dig some, and you find out about what the bells mean, what the pomegranates mean. The bells are the gifts of the Spirit. The pomegranate are the fruit of the Spirit. That's surrounds our priestly ministry as we worship God. Amen and amen. Amen. Wow, this is what the Word of God will mean to us. So these people were Sadducees. They didn't believe in resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. All right, okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, all right, all right. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and so they said, we're going to catch you in your teaching. So they gave them a theological riddle. I've had somebody think they ask you a difficult question like, oh, if the Bible's true, where did Cain get his wife from? As if you just say, oh, never thought about that. Let's have a nervous breakdown. Or things like, well, if God is Trinity, how can he also be unity? Duh, he's both. He is three in one. Ever heard of that? Oh, and then think you're going to fall apart because they ask you those questions. And the truth is, Jesus had the same reaction. They said, okay, we're going to ask you a question, Master. Remember, they don't believe in resurrection, so they're trying to disprove any form of resurrection. So they say, okay, there was a man, and he married a woman. And Jesus says, okay, (laughs) that's happened before. Well, you don't understand, this woman died, so he became a widower. Okay, that's sad. But then he found another woman. Oh, that's good. 
And she died too. Oh, that's sad. And then, then he found another woman, a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and they all died, and he was left on his own. Now, that's really sad. You wonder what kind of man it was, but never mind. What kind of man was that? But in the end, this was the question. Oh, come resurrection day, we've got one man with seven wives. Who is going to be his wife? And Jesus said, oh, I see what you're getting at. Look, you don't understand. In heaven, we will be like the angels of God. There will be no giving and receiving of marriage. Marriage is till death us do part. And he said, by the way, this is where you're going wrong. And we read this in John's, John, uh, um, Matthew's gospel, rather, Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. One of our professors of theology that lectured us knew the Bible inside out, back to front, mainly back to front, but he knew everything. He knew it in the Hebrew, he knew it in the Greek, he knew the Aramaic, he could, but he didn't know Jesus. So the difference is when we come to the Bible, we know the author. That's the big thing. And therefore, we have a deeper insight. It doesn't mean to say we shouldn't study. You've got to study. I think every man, every woman should be a Bible student. Every man, every woman in Kensington Temple should be at the International Bible Institute of London at least once in their life. Get it now. Get it over with. Because you know you're going to go there January. Start. Get it over with. Amen. Everybody. We want to teach. One of the ministries I enjoy most of all is opening and expounding the Word of God. I love it. And it's wonderful to see how God works. But the truth is, it's not just about mental understanding. It's about spiritual understanding. And for that, you need the power of God. So how do we respond to it? Let's just learn from Mary. Let's learn from Mary. Remember in Luke 1.38, she has this word... And I kind of guess that many godly young Jewish women would dream that they would be the one whom God would use to be the vehicle of bringing Messiah into the world. I mean, I think young Jewish women dreamed of being that one more than they dreamed of winning X Factor. I mean, it was the big ambition. I, I meant if it's the dreams of the girls, if it's the dreams of the dads, is, well, you know what, my daughter, she could become the one. And then the mama. You can just imagine. No, yeah, ma, this is my girl. She's the one. She's going to bring Messiah. And then, actually, Mary, who was the chosen one, Blessed by God in this choice, above all other women who were not chosen, but this woman, she was chosen, and she hears this word from the angel himself. And I think meeting with angel Gabriel would be awesome. And she hears it. And her brain is scrambled. And she tries to process this. 
And in the end, she recognized it as an authentic word from God, and so she receives it into her spirit. Let it be to me. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me, exactly as you say. I receive that word in my spirit. And exactly at that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to work, not just in her heart, but in her womb. And Christ is conceived miraculously and begins to grow and develop. And the months go by and the baby is finally born. And we discover something. On the night of the birth of Jesus, the shepherds had a revelation. Now you need to know, shepherds weren't the brightest tools in the kit, you know. They weren't the sharpest, traditionally. In fact, you want to make a joke, you say, there was a shepherd. <laughs> I know what's coming. Okay. So God chose these humble shepherds who are doing nothing but sitting up all night watching the sheep. And it's an amazing revelation. Luke 2, 13, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And they said, come, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened and tell everybody what we saw. And they did that. And Luke 2 Verses 18 to 20 says, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They all marveled. This is amazing. You saw angels? What did they look like? Oh, they were big. And I don't know where the shepherd stories say, Oh, my angel, I saw. No, I saw bigger angels than you saw. And they're all, everybody's marveling and talking about this. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. What's she doing? She is feeding on the Word of God. She's saying, I'm not just going to marvel, and it, it must have begun to, you know, help her put the pieces together. Yes, yes, this child, just like the angel said, is different, special. Yes, he is the Messiah. But she is processing this on the inside. She's pondering it. That's how we should receive the Word of God. When we turn to the Word of God to receive life, you don't necessarily read large chunks for this purpose. I'll explain that in a, in a, in a moment. But this is when you come. It might just be one verse. You start your Bible reading. You can't get past verse 1. Not because you've fallen asleep, but because God has woken you up. And you see the stabilibus mark, and there is a, a verse or a sentence or a phrase or even a word that sticks out. That's the Holy Spirit saying, stop, stay here, fellowship with me. I want to minister life to your spirit. I want to speak to you. Take this word, put it on the inside, hide it there, ponder it. This is true Bible meditation. 
And now, as Mary ponders this word, she observed, now the child that she sees was not just the, 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 the sense that there was something happening inside her. Now that child has come to full term and is birthed, and she can hold him in her arms. Jesus has become more real than before. The word of God incarnate in the flesh has now impacted her life in a way that hadn't happened before. So the Christ that was formed within her is now the Christ that she begins to see and examine. And it goes on. One more before we finish. When Jesus was around 12 years of age, he was taken up to Jerusalem. I'm told reliably that this was his bar mitzvah. And they went as a family and came home as a family. And... uh, Suddenly, Mama realizes, where's Kevin? <laughs> Anybody saw the film, Home Alone 1? Where's Kevin? Mary said, where's Jesus? Oh, I thought he's with you. No, I thought he's with you. They go to Red- he's not there. So they go back to Jerusalem, find him disputing, discussing with all of the scholars the finest minds in Jewish Jewish prudence asking them questions. And they marveled and they were astonished at the things that he was talking about and understanding. And so, like any parent, what are you doing? You're supposed to be with us. And Jesus replied, young Jesus, not precocious and certainly not disobedient, but said, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Luke 2, verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's good to read large chunks. I love reading large chunks of the Bible. I started with a yearly Bible reading program, then I graduated to reading the whole Bible through in one year and the New Testament twice. Not once, but twice. And as my hunger and my capacity grew, I read the Bible twice, three times, and finally had a Bible reading program taking me personally through the Bible four times a year. And I, I became so familiar with the Word of God that I could lie in bed and turn to any chapter that I, I, I could imagine and think about it. But then something happened which I didn't like. I was not any longer getting anything out of it because it had become too familiar. So I slowed down. As well as reading the Bible in large chunks, which is good to cover material, you need to stop. 
Sometimes I would read and something would be marvelous and I thought, no, what? I've got still 20 chapters to go. I just make a little mark, come back to it. I came back to it a day later and the whole experience had gone. Then I learned, no, 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 what you have to do is do both. Yes, read large chunks, but also spend time meditating in the Word of God, chewing it, ruminating over the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, hiding it in your heart, contemplating it, allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you, and let that Word by the Spirit draw you into the welcoming embrace of God our Father. That's how we feed on Christ the living word, on Christ the eternal word, through this written word. And I want to encourage you, begin to do this. And I'll tell you what, the more you do it, the more you'll love it, and it's astonishing of the strength and life that comes to you. And that's the only way. Just give me one more minute, ladies and gentlemen. Can I have an amen? Okay, that's the only way to live because the spiritual life is not just about sitting at home reading the Bible. It also means doing the washing up. It also means getting out to work on time. Amen? Amen. There is a going out, but there must be a coming in. There is a standing up and a sitting down. There is an activity to be done and a receptivity to be cultivated. We have to do stuff and we have to obey God and we have to reach out. But we must also learn what it is to be in his presence. And this is true spirituality. Feeding on him in the word by the spirit. Meditating on him receiving life from him and then taking that word and living it outside and then coming back for more. The balance is knowing the rhythm of doing and being, giving and receiving. And if we're only active, we become worn out and less than authentic. But if we only meditate and never do anything about it, we become too heavenly minded for any earthly use. God says, no, I want you to know the rhythm of spirituality. Doing and being. Being and doing. Hearing and obeying, obeying, and hearing. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the life-giving word. We thank you that your words, Lord Jesus, are spirit and life, and that every word carries your breath, And every revelation carries your embrace. Draw us closer to Jesus than ever before through his word. That that word might penetrate our lives and Christ might be formed. So that what we can deliver up to this world 
is a revelation of who Jesus the Messiah really is. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give Jesus a big praise.